Welcome to Mental Wealth for Entrepreneurs podcast, a podcast for resilient entrepreneurs. My guest today is Dr. Jane Ternatore, a therapist and a speaker based in Seattle. Jane is also the author of the book Everything is Perfect, Just Not Me, a roadmap for self-acceptance. So today she is sharing her journey of overcoming perfectionism whilst helping her clients to achieve self-worth. So let's listen to Jane's story now. Okay. Hi, Jane. Hello. How are you? Hello. I'm good. It's great to have you uh, on the podcast. Um, Jane, you are a speaker, um, a counseling uh, therapist, family and marriage therapist, and yes. also an author of a book, uh, Everything is Perfect, Not Just um, uh, just not Me. I actually yes. read the book. <laughs> <laughs> why, uh, why such a name? Why such a name? Because it's true. I, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I will probably always be a perfectionist. But one of the th- and the people I draw to me are perfectionists. And for perfectionists, it's like everybody's doing so well. You're so awesome. That was done so well. I kind of sucked because I totally could have done it better. I mean, that's how we tend to think. We're we generally tend to be much kinder to others than we are to ourselves. And it's no matter how hard we work, no matter how well it goes, no matter, no matter how much praise we get, it's always um, uh, it's just not quite good enough. So we never get that feel good of like, oh, yay, me, that is super awesome to feel. We can give it. We just can't receive it. So hence the title, Everything's Perfect, Just Not Me. So where this um, drive for perfection comes from? Oh, that's a great question, Katarina. <laughs> um, most of how we, how we see ourselves in the world and how the world is, most of our perceptions, most of our beliefs are formed before the age of six. So many of our beliefs are pre-verbal. We just kind of, because of how our brain works. Actually, do you want me to go a little brain geeky and talk about like why we form these beliefs? Okay, awesome. (laughs) So around uh, between the ages of zero and two, our brains are mostly in delta waves. And delta waves, we're just kind of like, you know, you know, little kids, they're just kind of looking around, experiencing. They're just taking in the world and they're responding to the moment. If they're wet, if they're hungry, if they're scared, if they're, you know, cuddled. They just, they just respond. There's no thought around it. It's just response to the world. Around the age of two, our brain becomes mostly theta state. Now, theta state is the state our brain is when we're under hypnosis. So under hypnosis in theta state, our brain gets very quiet. Our ego gets very quiet. And we just kind of receive. We don't critique so much. We just take in the information. So little kids are basically until the age of six under a hypnotic state where what is, there's beeping, sorry about that. What is seen to be true or what is experienced is seen to be true. That's, that's how the world is. That's how I am. If we're told, 
you know, you're a bad kid. We're like, okay, I'm a bad kid. We literally don't have the brain capacity, the brain capability to say, no, I'm not. I'm, a, I'm just being a kid. What are you calling me a bad kid for? So literally, we just receive things as truth. And then they become underlying beliefs. Now, later, our brain goes into beta state and beta waves, and we're mostly in beta waves. And that's kind of like, I got I to gotta fix things. I got to solve things. I got to take care of things. I got to, you know, that's the problem solving and always scanning, very busy part of our brain. When we're in beta waves, we can go, well, that doesn't make sense. That's a wacky belief. What is up with that? But, you know, before the age of six, we're just kind of taking in and going, okay, that's how the world is. And in my case, um, my family was not so healthy when I was a kid. And I decided that in my little unformed brain, you know, my theta waves, if I were just good enough, I could make everybody in my family happy and nobody would get hurt. Now, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You're the smallest. You can't stop everybody from, you know, being unhappy and getting hurt. You just can't do it. But in my little non-fully formed brain, that was the best answer I had. And because it's an unconscious belief, until I really became aware of it and really started practicing to go, yeah, they're better beliefs than the ones I grew up with. Um, they were just kind of an underlying driver. Is that is what I'm saying clear? Yes, yeah. So did uh, was being a perfectionist kind of um, hindered you uh, during your adolescence years or your um, young adulthood uh, years? How did it affect you? It both helped me and hindered me. It's a really good question. It helped me because, you know, working really hard is a great trait especially when you're in a working hard kind of world, right? Uh, I have ADHD and dyslexia and I got a PhD. Like I, that doesn't come without going like, I'm going to make this happen. The problem is it wasn't just the drive, but no matter how well I did, it was never good. Like I never got the pleasure for the work. So while it gave me a drive of like, I will be perfect, I will show people, I will blah, 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 whatever. Um, I did it with great, what's it, stress. I, I was just a very stressed all the time. Great anxiety, great stress. So while it enabled me to get a PhD on unmedicated ADHD, um, I also wasn't happy the entire time I was doing it. So one of the one of the things I frequently tell my clients is every tool eventually becomes an impediment. Like we learn these things because they work at the time, and then when we become bigger than our than our um, our fears, our beliefs, then they hold us back. Because if I keep being a perfectionist, I'm never going to try anything new. Well, I will. It's just it's so much harder for me. Then people who are like, new, awesome, I'm going to learn something. And I'm like, new, oh my God, I'm going to fail, right? And I do it because I'm driven to, but it's just not as happy as I could be. Yeah, it. yeah. So what are your strategies um, today to, because I, I, I guess you're still kind of dealing with this uh, still now. <laughs> what are your strategies today to kind of overcome this or maybe kind of 
pay attention to when when you start doing it again. Well, what are you doing today to stop you being perfectionist? Right, that's a great question. I do many, 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 many things. One of the things I've learned is that it's helpful to have a toolbox versus a tool. Because if I just have one tool, perfectionism, I have to use it all the time, whether it's appropriate or not. But if I've got a whole toolbox, sometimes perfectionism is super awesome. It gets me prepared for things I'm not sure about. But um, so uh, honestly, a lot of what I do is just, it's a lot of self-soothing of like, oh, I'm being perfectionist again. Oh, and I literally, I got this from a woman named Tara Brock, who's just wonderful um, about meditating and, and insight. And she literally puts her hand on her heart and says, oh, I'm hurting. And mm. so the first thing I do is basically give myself some compassion because I'm hurting. I'm hurting myself, right? It's just in my mind. Nobody's saying, Jane, you're not perfect. Like that's not coming for anybody else. It's coming from me. So I, I first have some compassion for myself. Always, always, always. That is my first step. And the beautiful thing is, is I, uh, the more I do it, the more it grows and the easier it is to create. So that's the first thing I do. Um, honestly, the second thing I do is use a lot of humor. Like when I make a mistake, I, one of the things my friends know I say a lot is like when I've done something kind of really stupid, it's not bad. It's just, I made a mistake. It was stupid or I'm having trouble. Like, you know, I got this new mic. I don't know how to can set it up to my computer yet. I just don't. So one of the things I will say is I've got a PhD, you know, right? So it's like, <laughs> I'm super smart and I can't figure this really simple things out. So it's this humor. It, it brings lightness because perfectionism has this harsh taskmaster feel to it. So as soon as I laugh, it lightens it and it doesn't have the same power. It's like, yeah, I don't do everything perfectly because I'm human. And that's one of the, my favorite things I say to my clients constantly. It's like, well, you can believe you can do that. Too bad you're human, right? Because we are inherently as human beings fallible. We make mistakes all the time. We, by definition, cannot be perfect. So um, those two things are my go-tos always is self-compassion and humor. Yeah. So uh, in your book, you talk about uh, dealing with negative emotions. Uh, so what is the biggest sort of issue here for entrepreneurs? Oh, oh my goodness. So <laughs> I was listening to some of your other podcasts and I'm like, this is the comparison monster. I was like, they seem like natural entrepreneurs. They just, they just know how to do this stuff. And I, I suck at it. I'm not a natural entrepreneur. And so I did that comparison. <laughs> so, um, one comparison is super not helpful. So to be with that, but two, like, especially I think with entrepreneurs, it's like, we're always doing stuff out of our comfort zone. We, by definition, well, I'm, I'm kind of an entrepreneur by like, by happenstance versus by temperament, but we're always doing stuff that we don't know how to do. And therefore we can be afraid right? It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. So I might fail. And we frequently do because we're trying new things. It's great. If we aren't failing, we kind of probably aren't trying enough new things. It's, you know, the definition. So that feelings model that you talked about, and I'm so happy you got to read the book. I love my book, but um, basically 
when we can just feel our feelings and let them go, they don't have to rule us. They don't have to rule our decisions. Like for me, being an entrepreneur, I face fear a lot because I can't do it perfectly because I'm doing a lot of new stuff. So we as, we as humans do three things with our feelings. We either repress them, saying, oh, I can't feel angry. I can't feel scared. I got to work now. I can't feel scared. So we repress it, which keeps it around. Or we feed it, which, you know, we things, say things like, well, of course I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, of course I'm going to fail because I don't know what. So we feed it. We keep it around. The way to actually let it pass is to simply feel it. We know we're simply feeling it when our brain's not super busy having thoughts about it. If you just focus on what's happening in your body, like the physical sensation, your brain quiets and your feeling just processes through. There's research that says our feelings, our reactions to our thoughts or happenstance or circumstance or events are done within 90 seconds to two minutes, right? So if I hear a loud noise like, and I get startled, if I'm not going, oh my God, what was that? Was that a gunshot? Was that a, oh my, what was it? Was that an earthquake? What? I'm keeping it around. So I'm adding to the stress. If I'm just like, oh, wow, my, my heart's beating faster. I'm kind of shocked. My muscles got tight. It's done within two minutes. Our body is naturally set up to let these things go very quickly. Our mind keeps them around. So if, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're feeling afraid, we're, we feel disappointment, anything, it's just like sit down and let yourself feel it. And almost always within five minutes, it'll be gone. Because as a perfectionist, I want to be down to that two minutes. I've never gotten to two minutes. The fastest I've gotten to is five. Because it's hard to shut down these patterns of, I shouldn't feel it. Of course I should feel it because they're jerks or I'm a jerk or you know whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So since you've opened your practice, which was what, 2005? Yes. Mm-hmm. What what is the biggest sort of challenge you 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 face since you open your practice? Oh my goodness, nobody's ever asked me that. That's a great question. So before yesterday, before this interview, I went back to look at my income statement. <laughs> Between the first and second year of business, I raised my income fivefold. Okay. Yeah, it sounds super impressive until you realize. My first year, I made $3,000. <laughs> I went from $3,000 to $15,000. Because one of the beliefs I have, I had and still have, this is one I'm, I'm working on, is I don't know how to market. So I sat in my little office. I had a very minimal website. I basically didn't tell anybody. I was just like, I hope people find me on the internet and call me. That was my marketing strategy. So I'm really lucky actually that I made $3,000. (laughs) But one of the things I realized is, you know, you talk about feelings. I, because I'm not a natural entrepreneur, I was gripped in fear for the first five years, right? For the first five years, I'm like, oh no, I won't be able to make it. Oh no, how am I going to make money? I can't market. I don't know what to, so I was literally afraid and when we are afraid our brain shuts down when we're afraid it makes our limbic system in charge which takes our frontal cortex which is the i can make decisions part of our brain 
offline, right? So when we act out of fear, we're always going to make the decision. Well, not always, but most of the time, we're going to make the decision that is not the best one, right? So around, I don't know, when did I have my jump? Year 10, I finally made over $1,000 or $100,000 a year. And I don't know when it was in there, but at one point I'm like, this fear is totally getting in my way because each year I was making more money. Like each year I made a lot more money, but I still never had enough money. Like I was paying down debts. I was making more money. And still at the end of the month, I'm like, am I going to make rent? Maybe I won't eat a whole lot. Maybe I won't buy that shampoo yet. So I was just so gripped in fear. So I decided to do a, a, a small action to help me. So I did two things. I decided to buy a cup of coffee a week, whether I could afford it or not. I mean, that's how scarcity minded I was. I'm going to buy a cup of coffee, right? And then the second thing is I started a gratitude practice. Instead of being so anchored in fear of like, what happens if that client ends? Oh my God, they're getting better. They're going to leave. Then who's going to, who's going to pay me, right? I was just like, I would just be grateful. Every morning when I woke up and every night before I went to bed, I just felt grateful. I, I decided not to make a list. Many people make a list. Mm -hmm. I'm a perfectionist. I um, kept thinking that my lists weren't good enough. Oh, you've said your cats every single time. Come on, come up. That's not important. That's good. So I would critique my list. So it wouldn't put me into gratitude. So instead, I literally, and for me, when I feel gratitude, my heart just kind of feels all warm and expanded. So every morning and every night, I would feel gratitude. Now, what's really fascinating, out of those two things, they were very powerful for getting me out of fear. The next year, I didn't make any more money. However, I was eating out, I was saving money, and I was still paying down debt. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not making any more money, yet now I have enough money. I think because my brain wasn't in fear, I was just making wiser decisions. So um, that's actually, that was probably my greatest challenge was getting myself out of living in fear as a solo practitioner therapist. Because mm -hmm. you're also saying that you're not a natural entrepreneur. How do you define being a natural entrepreneur? <laughs> this title, everything's perfect, just not me. That's really <laughs> anybody, not me. That's who are I'm... the natural entrepreneurs? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, that I would love to ask you that because that's the, your whole focus. So I have no tell idea. Me, don't you? Everyone is just trying their their best, and you know they yeah. just do a little bit every day, but. Uh, you're saying I'm not natural, right? Natural. <laughs> How do we spot natural entrepreneurs? It's, you know, my, some of my students, they, uh, I, I teach, they say, oh, well, because uh, I'm teaching on entrepreneurship programs and, um, and they say, oh, well, well, why do I need to, to learn entrepreneurship? Because I've done this test and I'm not entrepreneurial, you know, to start up a business. And I'm thinking, well, what, what, what are these tests? Who is, you know, who is there to tell you whether you can do, uh, can do entrepreneurship or, or not? <laughs> that's a great question. You, you, that's, I'm so glad you said that. And I'm going to stop saying that because maybe there aren't any natural entrepreneurs. Maybe we're all just, maybe other people are as scared as I am. I don't know. Do you think that's true? 
I think so. Yes, I think we'll have fears and 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 limiting beliefs because um, I'm also kind of um, uh, I'm practicing cognitive beha- behavioral therapy as well, and mm-hmm. I, I just it it helps me a lot to actually spot sometimes you know why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. <laughs> yes. Why I feel what I feel. <laughs> exactly. It kind of helps you to monitor your 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 thinking, you know, process and stuff like that. But you know, you mentioned gratitude. You talk quite a lot about gratitude in, in your book. Mm-hmm. And um so you practice this every day? Twice a day. Twice a day. And then what's really interesting, you know, you talk about cognitive behavioral, it's really just training your brain, right? So because I practice gratitude in the morning and it's just for like 30 seconds it's not very long in the morning and night I remember about two weeks after I started it in the middle of the day I just started feeling grateful for something I'm like what it was just spontaneous because I was building neural pathways of gratitude so those were more likely to fire when I see something I'm like oh I'm so grateful for my for my flowers out there and it's just natural versus me I will now feel gratitude you know, anything we practice, any belief, any thought pattern, we do it enough, it becomes an underlying belief. So now my underlying belief is, oh, there's so much to be grateful for. Yeah. Even though I'm still not perfect. <laughs> yeah. So entrepreneurship, it can be stressful, right? And it probably is stressful for, for a lot of people, uh, especially solopreneurs, um, before they get the right team on board to help them out. But how can uh, entrepreneurs reduce stress and, and anxiety? Right. Um, there's one tool that I have that is so powerful for anxiety. It's the circle of power and the circle of control. The, it's originally from Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He had a different name, but it, it kept names for the circles, but my clients were kept being confused, so I renamed it. So... When we're anxious, when we're stressed, when we're frustrated, when we're stuck, when we're helpless, when we're hopeless, we're always in that external circle of control. The internal circle of power is basically two things, our thoughts and our behaviors. That's actually what we actually have control over, what we do and what we think. Everything else is in that circle of control, which includes the weather, which includes the coronavirus, which includes, you know, whether people buy our product or not, whether, which includes how people think about us. Um, so anytime we're feeling stuck, helpless, hopeless, anxious, afraid, I always myself and, and tell my clients, I like, I so I usually go, where are you? <laughs> right. And they're like, I'm in this circle of control because we're worrying about stuff we actually can't do something about. So when we're worried, if you're you know, concerned about something, stop and ask yourself, is there something I can do about it? And if there is, great. If you can make a plan for when to do it, do it. Because clearly, if you're anxious and afraid and stuck, it's bothering you. So it's important to take action. So that's, that's really helped me. One, because it brings me back to what I can actually do versus spinning my wheels about, and then what if this happens? And then what if this happens? Which I can't control, right? But the second thing it does is if we've, if something feels out of control, we decide an action to take and it doesn't work. Uh, like if, uh, I can't think of an, 
my brain is totally blanking on an action that's business oriented. I'll say, um, so I used to, in Seattle, we've got these on-ramps onto the freeway. And when the freeway's busy, it has a red light, so you have to wait, right? But there's a lane for people who have two or more people in their car. They get to go right on. Yeah, yeah. So what I would do is I would watch and see all the people who only had one person in their car that were going you know, <laughs> on that lane. And I'm just like, oh, what, the, what is wrong with them? I'm waiting in line. They're cheating. What? And I would get all mad. Well, I was totally in this circle of control, right? I was doing nothing to stop that. Now, if I wanted to get out of my car and go, stop, you get over it. I, mean, I could have, but I wasn't going to, right? I wasn't going to take that action. So I would say, okay, so what is in my circle of power? Well, I cannot look. So I literally, because I was just such a habit to see who were the quote, you know, cheaters. I literally put my hand up against my face so I couldn't see them. Right. Because I was the only one making myself unhappy. I wasn't willing to try to change their behavior. So I changed mine and changed my thought pattern. Now I don't even look. So, you know, come to always, what do we have power over? And that gets us out of feeling helpless and stuck. Yeah. Also, you know, in the book, I, uh, uh, the the chapter I quite liked uh, was the chapter about the power of words. Oh, yes. Could you just tell us a little bit more about this? Uh, yes, I love that one. So if I were, I, I always say, if I were queen of the world, I would ban the words should, must, have to, need, and gotta, right? Because those words literally create stress in our bodies and our minds. I would replace them with, it would be a good idea, it'd be helpful, an option is, and only if it's really, really true, only if it's really, really true, I want to or I'd like to. So will you do an experiment with me? Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so is there something that you need to do or should do or have to do now that you can think of? Uh, Yes. Okay, great. So say in your, if you're willing to share it out loud, fine. If, if not, just say it to yourself and say, say whatever it is I need to do blank and then close your eyes and feel what you feel in your body. I need to transcribe a podcast interview. Great. And what do you feel in your body? A little tightness in my chest. <laughs> a little. <laughs> Great. Nice notice. Yeah. Now say, it would be a good idea to transcribe a podcast interview. Also with closed eyes? Uh, Say it with open eyes and then close it. It would be a good idea to transcribe an interview. Close your eyes. And what do you feel in your body? Um, Nothing. (laughs) Nothing? Okay, fascinating. Great. So the, the stress is gone right here. Yeah, I just, I personally don't like... <clears throat> I'm quite uh, creative, I'd say, and I like to do all sorts of creative activities and uh, everything to do with admin work or paperwork or stuff like that. It just kind of makes me... And sometimes I do delay um, tasks like this, uh, and I know I can just 
outsource it to someone, but uh, I, I used to hire a, a, v, um, a virtual assistant. But then I, I would end up just doing kind of checking the work and just still ending up sp spending my time doing it. So I'd rather do it myself at this point uh -huh. in time. <laughs> right. Because right. not every interview, although I'm using the um, an app to transcribe it, I still have to go through the interview and just make sure it doesn't change the words, meanings, and stuff like that. Right, you still need it's to... something that I have to do, but I kind yes. of... I'm you don't want to do. We're doing it. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I'm so glad you said that. So that when you said it would be helpful to... You didn't notice anything. Now say, I want to transcribe that interview. I want to transcribe an interview. Close your eyes. What do you notice? Um, yeah, I kind of, I feel okay about this. You do? Yeah. Wow. I expected you to feel more stress. Yeah. Because the power yeah, of these... You just discussed it. And that well, that's of... awesome. Well, yeah, you. Maybe because I've actually said um, that I, I want to have, you know, a, a good transcription and it's kind of in my mind. It's oh. um, I almost um, became kind of okay with this decision. I don't know. I don't know. Awesome. Great. I'm glad to hear that. I, I think well, say, saying out loud, it actually helps to maybe, oh. you know. To, to prepare yourself for this task. I don't know. It, it does. When we, um, so the power of these words is, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the out loud because that's a, that's a whole other aspect to it. But the word should, must, have to, need. If we say, oh, I need to do it. We're basically giving ourselves the unconscious message and sometimes conscious. Well, why haven't you done it yet? If you need to do it and it's not done, what's wrong? Why are you, why are you, why are you not doing it? Why do you keep pushing it off? Why? So that we're automatically failing, right? It's like, if I need to do it, like, ugh, we create, you, you, you know, that tension you created. I need to do it. Oh yeah, I do. So it's something that's a good idea. It's, it's on your list for a reason, right? Yeah. But you're creating additional tension when you say, I need to. Yeah. You see, you're already saying, with, it's a good idea. It's kind of like you have an option not to do it, you see. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if deep, deep in your mind, you kind of think, well, you still have to do it. Maybe it's your brain is has this. Exactly. Um, you're not letting yourself off the hook, yeah. although for your ego, it is. It's like we become two again when, like when somebody says to you, you, you need to, you need to take better care of yourself. I'm like, yeah. who likes to hear, who's like, don't tell me what to do. But when somebody says, it'd be really helpful to exercise if you want to be healthier. I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, it would be really. So there's, there's nothing to argue against because it's yeah. on your list for a reason. So it'd be helpful just gives yeah. you an unconscious choice. And yeah. then what's really important <laughs> is your unconscious then is working. Like if it's helpful, great. Then you've just set your unconscious, especially when you say it out loud, when you hear it and your, your unconscious is like marching orders. Got it. It's a good idea. Yeah. See, I've got a break between three and five today. I can do it. So your unconscious is looking for how to get it done versus I don't want it. Because when we have tension associated with it, to do it, our brain and our body knows oh, I'm going to feel stressed doing that. So I think I'll avoid that because who wants to feel stressed? But it's a good idea. It'd be helpful. There's no stress. So, okay, mm -hmm. I could do it now, whatever. 
Yeah, but I guess it's um, that's why people do affirmations and they wake up and they have all this, you know. I mean, I'm I'm not doing it, but I, I kind of I I tried, but uh, I've heard that you need to write down, you know, some you don't some need to phrases on a sticker and just stick it on the toilet. I don't know, a mirror or something like that. Just do you to remind know? you. Yes. Uh, do you want to know? I've got a love hate and relationship with mantras. Do you want to know why? Like why I think they don't work for many people, like for me, it hurts. Now they do. Affirmations, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why is so that? when I first started affirmations, it would be way beyond my scope. Like I first started them in grad school when I had no money and no time, right? And so I'd say, I'm wealthy. And I'm everything in me is like, Jane, stop. You're not wealthy. You're in grad school. You're going into debt. What is wrong with you? So I would literally like, it would make me feel worse. Yeah. But there's this one wonderful uh, woman named Dana Wild, who does who wrote this book Train Your Brain, which shifted me to liking affirmations because now they work. So you find it's like the words should must have to need. You find the point of resistance. Like when I said I'm wealthy, I was like, yeah, stop lying. I just create a whole lot of stress. Now if I would say um, I would like to like to feel wealthy. Well, yeah, of course I would. Like, who wouldn't like to like to feel wealthy? And if that's comfortable, so what you're looking for for affirmations is to tailor it so it's a little bit of a stretch. If I'm totally good with, I'd like to like to feel well, no worries. I would like to feel wealthy. It's a little, it's a little more, um, it's a little stronger, right? It's a little less, uh, you know, I kind of want to feel wealthy. It's like, I'd like to feel wealthy. And if you're like, yeah, I would, then you stay with that one right? Yeah. If you're like, I'd like to feel wealthy. And you're like, Oh God, I can't. Then you go, I'd like to like to feel what you yeah. just tailor it for you where you are. And once you're comfortable, you move it up a little step to make yeah. it a little more until you're like, I'm fabulously wealthy. And you're actually feel it. I'm not there yet. I would like to be, I would like to like to feel fabulously wealthy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean it's great. I, I think it's. I guess everyone has their own strategies. Some some people meditate. Some people mm-hmm. do affirmation. I guess whatever works for those people. But uh, I guess if you if you say um, enough times, this affirmations, your brain maybe gets retrained and actually stop rejecting these messages and kind of accepting that maybe it's a new reality, maybe it's a new truth for, for you. <laughs> when you say I'm strong and, you know, I'm wealthy and healthy and I love yeah. myself and, you know, hello, gorgeous. <laughs> right, right, right. I still do that. I did it this morning. Right. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned in the book that you have to kind of wake up and welcome yourself in the mirror. And kind I don't of- have to, but it's a great idea. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love it. I just did it this morning. And it, I literally, I'm 58 now. I love my body more than I ever have. Right. I'm like, who knew that was possible? But it's true because every day, I say, hello, gorgeous. I just feed that. Well, I love my body. It's older. It's a lot older than it was when I even started the practice. But it it serves me so well. And it's got muscles. And it's healthy. And I can do all sorts of stuff. And so I, I just appreciate it. Even though it's 58-year-old body versus a 28-year-old body, it serves me so well 
But you radiate so much uh, positive energy and um, you just, I would never say you're 58. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I am. Energetic and um, kind of shining almost. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I will take that compliment. I love it. I guess it works. (laughs) (laughs) I have to start doing the same thing. You don't have to, Katarina. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it's great advice. <laughs> so, 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 Jane, for, for, for starting entrepreneurs, what, what can you advise them? What are the strategies um, to keep their mind focused, uh, to keep away n- negativism and you know, negative thoughts? What are the strategies for starting entrepreneurs um, would you advise? Great. That's a great idea. Mm. So um, first of all, we are all going to have negative thoughts, but when we, when we catch them, you know, as you say, you know, you catch your beliefs, so you have another choice. So as much as possible, you know, if we can tune into our bodies and we're like, Oh, this feels like, what am I thinking right now? This thought is causing me stress. This is a belief that is not as helping. So then we stay, Oh, there's that belief. And here's, here's what I, here's what I prefer to think. Well, no, notice that client's never going to come in and see me. Well, you know, I don't know if they will or not. They might. And so just that change brings me out of stress and brings me out of fear. So, you know, as you talked about, be super aware of what our thoughts are and how we're responding. Let our body be a cue of like, oh, I'm feeling stressed. I'm having a thought here that's not a great issue. And then the second thing is once I decided to ask for help, You know, I'm a perfectionist, so I should be able to do it all by myself. And once I started asking for help, like I got um, a coach, and while it was a lot of money for me at the time, it was it was kind of like like I don't know what it was, whether it was me making a decision that said, Jane, you actually can get help. You actually deserve to get help. You don't have to do it all on your own. That was a, that and the gratitude practice and buying my one cup of coffee a week um, was so powerful in switching me into receiving versus fear. And I can't do it. And I can't do it. And don't give me anything else because I, I can't figure out how to do this. So I can't, I couldn't bring in new opportunities because I couldn't deal with the ones I had. So seek help, whether it's a mentor or a, um, you know, one of those brains, what are they, mind, mind, mind master groups or mastermind, mastermind yeah, groups yeah, yeah. or just a group of colleagues. Like I've got some colleagues that I've been meeting with for, I don't know, I think 10 years now where we just talk. And so I don't feel alone and they've got great ideas. So one, notice what you're thinking. Don't make yourself bad because you're thinking, oh, there I am having that stupid belief again. It's like, oh, hello, belief. Oh yeah, that hurts. What do I want to believe? And then seek out people who can walk the road with you, whether professionals or colleagues, people who are entrepreneurs. Because I can't tell you the number of, I've been in several coaching programs now, and every single time people say, there's nobody else I can talk to about this. Nobody else understands this. And I'm like, God, I've done a really good job because I've got lots of people who understand. What I'm, like I did, Once I figured it out, I was really good at seeking out help. But so, you know, to not feel so alone and, and do what's in your power to create people that you can access to help you. And you can be truthful and honest and go, yeah, I'm really struggling today. 
I just lost a, you know, an account of like 30% of my business, not sure what I'm going to do. And you can share it. So you're not alone with it. Yeah. Do you have um, family members who support you? Um, do you have a strong sort of network of friends and family who support you in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, friends. Yes. My family, nobody's an entrepreneur in my family. Yeah. So they're kind of like, oh, my dad, bless his heart. He's dead now. But he was, he was, he just wanted me to be safe. He wanted me to be, you know, married and have a government job and never take vacation and have as much savings as I can because you never know what's going to happen. Like my dad was very fear-based. And so I decided to become an entrepreneur and not get married, right? I'm like, I'm doing exactly opposite of, of what he wanted for me to be safe. So I think I took on actually a lot of his beliefs of, no, you, you be very secure and you always have a job where you'll always have a pension and a salary and paid vacation that you should never take. Right. <laughs> so um, my family loves me, but they don't get what I do. I mean, they don't say you shouldn't do it. Dad would have, but the rest of my family is just like, okay, that's you. But yeah. they don't, I can't talk to them about it because they don't have the same, you know, they don't deal with the same issues I do. Yeah. I've got a lot of entrepreneur friends, though. I love my entrepreneur friends. That's good, yeah. yeah. But I guess for what is uh, secure today, I mean, uh, I know one, one of my neighbors, he's retired now, and I think because of COVID-19, I think his pensions just, he lost quite a bit of money from oh. his pension pot because... All, you know, the stock market is down and uh, what is secure, what is safe today? <laughs> that's really, <laughs> Katarina, that makes a lot, I mean, I, every once in a while I stop and go, how did I end up in a career that's fine with COVID? Like how did, that's total happenstance. Hmm. You'd think so many careers would be, would be uh, like safe and like, we don't know what's safe anymore. That's one of the things I think COVID yeah. is really teaching us. Yeah. So, you know, and not safe is out here in that circle of control because we can't control COVID. We can't control the stock market, but we can decide how to create safeness in our own life. Like maybe have different aspects of like branch out. I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, everybody's pivoting now. Well, how do I diversify? So if this thing happens, then I can work on this part. And if this part goes down, then I've got this part. So yeah, and it's just actually coming here in, in the moment this is, I've been doing this a lot. Right now, I'm okay. I don't know what will happen in the future. Yeah. What happens if the internet goes down? I can't work if the internet goes down. But right now, I'm okay. Yeah. Right. So I've got now. And so that's a way to lower the stresses. Right now, I'm okay. I don't know what the future will bring. Because I don't. I've got hopes. But yeah. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Right now, I'm okay. Yeah. So what would be your final uh, advice to female, uh, to women entrepreneurs? Oh, goodness. <laughs> women, we we've tend to be taught that we should do it all, should do it all, and we should do it all really well. And, you know, with children and spouses and houses and businesses, it's like they're you know, if they're focused on one area, so many women feel that they're failing at the others. And, you know, one of, the, one, of, one of my favorite things to say to myself is, well, right now I'm doing the best I can. But I feel I'm failing this, this part of my life. 
right, right now I'm feeling that. And I, I literally, because it's true, we are always doing the best we can. Like one of the things I say to my clients is nobody ever wakes up, except if they've got a personality disorder, nobody ever wakes up and says, how can I really screw up today? How many people can I fail today? Let's see. I'm going to top my misery score. To no, we don't. We don't do that. So literally like, oh, and I am doing the best I can. And self-compassion, ooh, women entrepreneurs need it as much, if not more, as anybody else. That I'm okay. I'm not perfect. I'm human. And I'm doing the best I can. Oh, such, oh. I feel so good when I say that. <laughs> yeah. So self-compassion and self, self-love and gratitude for what we have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because we are going to fail always because we're human. Yeah. And the really cool thing is if you've got kids, if you have self-compassion for yourself for not being perfect, guess what you teach them, right? They get to fail and they still get to be good, worthy people. They still get to love themselves, even though they're going to make mistakes for their entire life. I mean, what a lesson for kids. What a lesson for our employees. Yeah. It's like, you get to screw up. Now, I'm going to hold you accountable. You're not a bad person. We're just going to make sure this doesn't happen again because, you know, that's not okay for the business. Yeah. Self-compassion doesn't mean no boundaries. It just means self-compassion. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing your story and your thoughts on um, Thank you. And there's ooh, the cat tail. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I can't just walk in front of the camera. <laughs> I guess it's yeah. time to feed you. <laughs> and I'm so professional. <laughs> Nobody is perfect. Here we That's go. right. That's right. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you, and good luck with everything. And thank you, Katarina. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Wealth Entrepreneurs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. Please send me any comments or feedback. If you're an entrepreneur and want to share your story, please contact me. The link is in the podcast show notes. Also, please see the social media links and uh, links to offers from my guests on the podcast notes. This podcast is sponsored by Smart Octopus Voice Agency, who create chatbots and voice skills on Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. So I'm really excited uh, to tell you that this podcast is now available as an Alexa skill. Uh, so you can search for resilient entrepreneur uh, skill and enable it as a flash briefing. So that's all for me. Um, I wish I wish you good mental health and you are just one mind hack away. Till next time. <laughs>